When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The following program is MLWRadio.com production. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Out, Bruce Pritchard. Once again, we are back doing the very best of Something to Wrestle. And this week, we have got more outstanding clips, more celebrity introductions, and most of all, more opportunity for us to talk about loveforhouston.com. We are bringing you this show absolutely commercial-free. We only want you to have one takeaway from this show, and that is loveforhouston.com. Needs all your help and support. Of course, all your donations are completely tax-deductible, but most importantly, man, Houston needs our help. Thoughts and prayers are great, but these guys need basics. They need food. They need shelter. They need water. And uh, we can help. Every dollar helps. No donation is too small. Give all you can. It's going to a great cause. It's loveforhouston.com, and that's enough of me. Let's get some of the very best of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Cornette. When I heard about this special show being put together to honor the the Houston victims and commemorate the recovery process and all the folks that are involved in, in helping people out after the hurricane. Uh, I obviously want to be a part of it, and I had a long history in Houston, and, and Houston has a long history in wrestling. And I've known both the Pritchard boys uh, for quite a while as a result of Houston. And and I think one of the first times that, that me and the Midnight Express wrestled at the Sam Houston Coliseum was one of the most memorable because, I mean, we had a last stampede match there with Bill Watts and JYD. It was just enormous and sold out. And, and the, the crowd at the Sam Houston Coliseum on any Friday night was just electric. But one of the first appearances that we had there was against Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA, who was a hot young babyface at that point, just getting his first main event push, and they were the Mid-South Tag Team Champions. And we had all just come from from Memphis, and when the heels went out to get heat, we went out to get heat. Um, and Bill Dundee was the booker, and he'd just come from Tennessee, and he said, okay, I want you guys to go out and, after the DQ, get some heat on them. So, my God, we ended up 
I believe the way it was, was Bobby and Dennis had Mr. Wrestling 2 in the middle of the ring, and they had the tennis racket, and they were beating him, and he was fighting like he was really being mugged by a street gang, and he was selling and trying to fight back, and he was just helpless. And meanwhile, Magnum T.A.'s leg was tied in the bottom rope, and he was hanging upside down outside off the apron of the ring, and I'm standing on the apron holding on the top rope with the belt from my suit pants in my hand, whipping him like a dog huge dog and the people could hear the smack of the leather they heard the tennis racket hitting and, and we were so engrossed in what we were doing we failed to notice you know little things going on around us while we're trying so hard to get get over we failed to notice that the people were starting to crowd the barricades and all the security in the building had come and climbed over the barricades and were facing out at the people holding their arms up trying to hold them back and people were starting to throw things and an angry mood was descending over the entire Sam Houston Coliseum we didn't notice all this stuff we were about 30 seconds away from starting a riot and being murdered when all of a sudden I feel a hand land on my shoulder and grab me, boom, and the place blew. They popped like somebody popular had just won an election. And I turned around and looked over my shoulder, and it was Paul Bosch. And he said, go to the locker room now. And when you watch the tape, you see me jump in there and try to tell Bobby and Dennis. And I think Dennis turned around and tried to take an extra kick at two and I almost go grab him and drag him back. Like, no, Paul Bosch said, we got to get out of here now. And the cops surrounded us and they were beating the shit out of the cops on the way back to the locker room. And they were trying to reach in and get us. We had our heads covered up. And finally, we get back in there and Paul Bosch came in and he was yelling at Dundee. He was yelling at us a little bit, but he was yelling at Dundee because you can't get that kind of heat here. I mean, they were throwing whiskey bottles at us from the from the bleachers as we passed under to go to the locker room. Glass was breaking. It was like a war zone. And uh, we we tried to bring Tennessee heat to Texas, and, and it almost worked too good. But I remember that Paul Bosch was so over that by him... Laying his hand on my shoulder instantly that the riot was averted and the heat was off because they knew that if Paul Bosch had things, the matter was well in hand. So that's one of my favorite memories of Houston, but we've got a million of them because Houston was a great wrestling city and it still is a great American city. And we hope that everybody will donate whatever they can to loveforhouston.com and go straight to the Red Cross. And uh, wish Brother Brucey well while he's stranded. Tom, luckily, has smartened up and moved to Tennessee. Uh, but uh, for everybody in Houston, both in the podcasting community, the wrestling community, and everyone else, we from the Jim Cornette Experience say uh, good luck and stay strong. So episode 26 was all about Kurt Angle. And somewhere in here, we started to talk about the milk truck. And another time something was sprayed and eventually we make our way to the river bridge. You got to hear this episode 26, Kurt Angle, uh, Steve Austin appreciation night, the night after SummerSlam on raw and angle ruins it by driving a milk truck into the arena and spraying down members of the Alliance with milk kind of, uh, as a parody of when Austin did this with a beer truck back in 99, uh, for the McMahon's. Uh, whose idea was this? This is pretty smart to have Kirk come out and spray milk being the all-American boy. 
Well, as monkey see, monkey do. Austin had done it with the beer, so what would the American hero, Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle do? Brian Gwertz, again, had just a ton of great ideas, and this was Brian's idea to do the milk truck, bring it in and have Kurt replicate what Austin had done years ago with the beer and turn those faucets on Austin himself. Uh, was this real milk? Yeah, it was real milk. That seems like the worst decision ever to spray people with milk. That cannot smell good very long. Wait a minute. Are you going to tell me that spraying people with milk is worse than spraying people with human waste? Y'all didn't actually use shoot shit. We actually used a shoot septic tank, yes. Fuck and it had you. shoot shit in it. No, you didn't. Yes, we did. Now it was y'all it was fake. Y'all, y'all Dude, it was it was fake shit. It was fake shit that was like made, but it was with a real septic truck oh, that God. they could not get clean. That oh, it was that was a disaster. That was another one from the great prop folks. That shout out to a uh, friend of the show, Jeff Jewett. He's rocking those septic tanks. Uh, help me understand. Uh, Somebody thought it was a good idea to uh, to shoot shit at people. Yeah. Well, the uh, no, the original idea was obviously that it would be Hollywood shit. But when they got the septic truck, the septic truck had real shit in it, and had to, and you can't just clean out a septic <laughs> truck completely. So that yeah, that's a whole nother that's another show. Yeah, we'll get to that. I, it's just. <laughs> Crazy, huh? I didn't expect we'd be talking about this today. Uh, there is an angle that they run where Austin steals uh, Kurt Angle's medals and then throws them into the Detroit River. What was the fascination at the time with uh, Austin throwing shit in the river? <laughs> it feels like he, he threw Kurt Angle's uh, medals in there. He threw the Rock's Intercontinental Belt in there. Did you guys have like a go-to bridge? Well, hell, boy, let's just have Austin throw some more shit off in the river. Well, that guy lived in the van down there by the river. In a van down by the river. Sure. You throw something in the river, you're never getting it back, damn it. It goes down, you know, the river, the, the water flows, and when the object hits, it just goes, and it goes down out into the ocean or wherever the hell that the river water thing goes to, and you never see it again. Uh, so That's it, the idea behind a bridge and a river. See, here, comrade. Well, first, you find a bridge. Well, you know. And and then you get to, well, you know, to the bridge, you know, and it's got the water, you know, down below in the brook, you know, not Hogan, but it's babbling, you know. And, well, um, uh, you, uh, you take uh, you, the, well, the, ob- ob- the object, well, you know. And you, you you toss it, and it goes into well, you know the 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 water, you know, and then then it's it's gone. It's and you and that's he, that's he, you know. Hey, hey, it's Zach. 
Greg Ryder and Dolph Ziggler. And we just wanted to thank Bruce and Conrad for all the entertainment. Every week we listen to the podcast and we love the show. Doot, doot, doot. Listening to it up and down the roads. Thanks for everything. Lowest rules, brother. <laughs> oh, wait. Wrong one, you idiot. God damn it. Episode 27 is all about the NWO and the WWE. And here we learn that not everything is a master plan. Of course, most of us remember at WrestleMania 18, The Rock took on Hulk Hogan, and the crowd was behind the heel, Hulk Hogan. That wasn't the plan, or was it? Bruce explains. And then when do you know, hey, we're going to send him home to get the red and yellow? That night. So he goes that night, or he goes the next morning? We went to... I want to say we went to Montreal in the morning... And he then took the plane from Montreal to Tampa and then Tampa back. How crazy is that? Yeah. But just for, we, I mean, say we spent the night in Toronto. It's not like, you know, he's just there's just a Hulk Hogan accessory store right around the corner you can go get size eighteen yellow boots. Yeah. And it wasn't and I don't think that Linda was home and he had to he had to go home and get it all. It's amazing. Uh, the next night in Montreal, as you alluded to, Hogan comes out to the monstrous ovation, and uh, it goes on for what feels like forever. Uh, and you could tell seventeen by- minutes, I believe. I want to just tell you guys to help out any way you can. Go to the American Red Cross. Go to loveforhouston.com and just donate whatever you can. Okay, all donations go directly to the Red Cross to help those in need. Any way you guys can help, whatever it is. Hopefully Bruce can get back to doing his regular thing. He's got a successful podcast, something to wrestle, and he and, and Conrad and Bruce, that poor bastard, he's got to deal with Conrad. Oh, that Conrad. Poor Bruce has got to deal with this guy. You know what I mean? It's, he's a little bit of a headache. You know, I, I remember for myself, while uh, I was in WWE, uh, something that I don't think I've ever talked about with Houston. I was... During 9-11, this is where I was uh, stranded. A lot of people were stranded that traveled during those years. During that time, I should say, 9-11. And Houston was a city that I was... That's where I was when 9-11 hit uh, New York City. Um, and my family was in New York. The, the crew that kind of ran together during that time was myself, the Dudleys, and uh, The Rock. Yesterday, after the show, I started thinking about Houston. I'm like, wow, that's where I was when 9-11 hit here. And I was terrified because my family was here. And we didn't know what was going on. And I woke up in a hotel room... We were going to Raw, SmackDown, I can't remember where. Loveforhouston.com. Donate what you can. All donations, I said, go directly to the Red Cross. Helping those in need. A little bit of inside baseball here. We're debating on our side. Which clip to play from episode 28? It's all about the XFL. We pushed this out right after the ESPN documentary that came out about the XFL. And Bruce offered a little bit of a companion piece and, and there's a debate here as to which clip we should play we're just going to do them both silva's favorite is about michael p.s hayes and i don't think we have enough hayes on this show so far but maybe the part everybody really remembers is coon's favorite where bruce had to interview the cheerleaders take a listen yeah but that's doing well now uh have, is the restaurant entertainment yeah, because do, 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 what we do over here, we make money, do, do, do. I don't know what the fuck you do. That was Michael Hayes to the uh, president of the uh, WWF studios one time in a meeting. What? <laughs> we're, we're in a meeting in the conference room. 
and we're and Vince has the creative people. I think it was like me, Michael, Brian Gewertz, and, and the head of WWF uh, movies. And Michael just is so frustrated that we're sitting there having to come up with ideas for movies and shit. And says, "Well, hey, I'll tell you." They were going around asking, and he asked somebody what they did. He goes, "Hey, I'll tell you what I do. I make money for this company. What the fuck do you do?" Doop, doop, doop. And I just, I mean. Was Vince in the meeting when he screams that? Do yeah. Vince was in the meeting. Linda was in the meeting. And Vince popped huge. It was, it was priceless because he was right. Michael's sitting there and we're frustrated because we're, because we've got, we still have to go produce the real life shit. shit that, the real life shit that's making the money for the company. And we're sitting in there trying to help this son of a bitch do his job out in Hollywood. And yeah, it was hilarious. I don't know what the fuck you do. I make money for this company. They, they, they. So then we start to talk about the cheerleaders with the little cheerleader chick, okay, who's the cheerleader expert of the NFL at one time, I guess. And she starts telling us these stories about the – you're going to need a lot more than that, Pally, about how – special these girls are because they're not just cheerleaders man they're not just you know what you would expect cheerleaders to be these these women are professionals we've got a doctor we've got a lawyer we have one that's a mathematician that you're going to meet mathematician they're really they've got some great background really great stories and we can tell those stories about these wonderful lives that they have monday through friday but on saturday and sunday they come out to the to cheer their little hearts out for their favorite xfl team and be sexy yeah, I'm listening to all this. Okay, you know, hey, man, that's, that sounds cool. We can come up with some stories for that. And we go on and hear about how all these wonderful stories about these great backgrounds that these um, cheerleaders have. So then the other thing we were charged with was, Bruce, go and meet the cheerleaders. And I want you and Michael and Brian, I want you guys to, to, to bite them up. And let's... Shoot some vignettes highlighting their personalities. You know, we've got a doctor, we've got a lawyer, we've got this mathematician, and these three that I keep getting thrown in my face. So we bring all the cheerleaders that are sitting in the stands, and uh, I've got the, the head cheerleader woman there, and she introduces me, and I... Say, hey, girls, how you doing? I'm Bruce Pritchard. This is Brian Gores. This is Michael Hayes. And we're going to be working with you guys over the next couple of days. We're going to shoot what we call vignettes. They're basically personality pieces. And we want to tell your story. We want to talk about how during the week that you guys have these regular kind of mundane jobs. But on the weekend, you're out here chilling, cheering your ass off and cheering on your favorite team because you love the XFL and you love football. Um. I understand that we we have a doctor amongst us. Crickets. Um, I'm looking over to the cheerleader lady. I said, uh, "You mentioned that we had a a, a doctor." And she looks through the group, kind of looks. Up, oh well, well, Cindy over here. Um, yeah, you're. She worked in a doctor's office. Mm-hmm. That was our doctor. 
Then uh, I said, okay, I said, okay, well, that's cool. We can do something with that, you know. So that's cool. Understand uh, we have an attorney in the, in the ranks? Crickets. I look over at her, and she says, whoa, uh, Nancy uh, didn't, don't, uh, uh, she says, why, I went to school, um, I was thinking about being a lawyer. It's okay, um, where's my mathematician? The goddamn crickets were running rampant in Las Vegas. And she says, oh, well, uh, Nancy, or whatever the hell your name is, uh, she says, well, I, I like to read math books. God damn. I said, you know what? Let me try this a different way. Because the preamble to all this shit was we didn't have, we, these aren't just a bunch of strippers that are going to be out there. These are people with real jobs and, and, and real, real life. And, and on the weekend, they become someone else. So I said, let me try this a different way. How about we just go and you guys introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about yourself. There you go. So we go to the first one. And she says, hi, my name is Dixie and I'm a dancer. Please tell me her name is really Dixie. Okay. Uh, I have no fucking idea. I forgot their names as soon as it came out their mouth. I go to the next one. Uh, my name is Lucy, and I'm a dancer. I really like to dance. So I go to the third one. My name is Amber, and I'm a dancer. I love dancing, and I really want to dance. So I said, okay. Um, anybody here not a dancer? Fucking crickets. <laughs> so <clears throat> I end the meeting kind of abruptly and I grab this lady and I said, what the fuck? You know, you, <clears throat> I could make shit work, but now I got to go back and explain to Vince that I got a chick that likes to read math books. I got a chick that works in a lawyer office, a chick that used to work in a doctor's office or a chick that, that wanted to be a lawyer. And um, two dozen dancers. And, uh, they're all dancers. And I said, uh, "What the fuck?" And he said, well, I, I, you know, I thought maybe yeah, tomorrow will be a better group. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage... All the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I gotta shoot shit today. 
Yeah. So essentially, I just made shit up. <laughs> I took I took the bitch that uh, that worked in a lawyer's office. I put her in a lawyer's office, man. I had her. I had her coming play in, a lawyer coming in I hot had, with that language. I had I had the uh, the one that oh this was this was another good one this was one that uh, she says well I know I know we've got a uh, a sports one that that does sports uh, trainer or something like that so I go to talk to her she dated a trainer in high school I said well great you're going to be my athletic trainer I took the the chick that liked to read math books. I get this. She liked to read math books, but she hated math, and she couldn't do any math problems. So I had to have her go get – bring me one of those math books, and we just did a complicated uh, math problem on the wall. And here's here's my favorite part of all. When, when we divvied up crews and everything, I said, you know what? I'll take these girls. Michael, you and Brian, you go take these girls, and you take your crew, and I'll do my crew. Well, I made it so that my crew and all my girls, I could shoot everything <laughs> right there at the stadium. I just did backstage stuff, and, and I made a training room. I made a classroom. I made, I just made shit up there. And uh, Stephanie McMahon stayed with me and helped me produce, and, and Michael and them were up until the wee hours of the morning having to shoot stuff on location in Las Vegas. It sucked. Because they were just they were just local dancers, um, go go girls, uh, uh, showgirls. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it at all. But say that. Don't give me this shit about how how bright and brilliant these girls are. These great stories they have when none of them had stories. My book's coming out in October, and there's a, there's a good piece of business or two in there between uh, me and Bruce, Bruce and I, I should say, and uh, there are Houston and Mid South based. Uh, we had uh, we had some interesting adventures together in our younger days. So, and some of that is covered in the book, but not so bad it's going to cause a divorce. I don't I don't think. <laughs> you know, everybody can do something, and that's the thing about it is that people monetize all their uh, they're giving, and, and it's not all just about having the volume of your your individual donations. Not the whole story, but give something. It's the process of giving, the process of helping, and then you share that information. Hey, I gave some money to the to the to the uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund or whatever it was. Uh, you know, the, the the website that Conrad just mentioned. It's everybody chipping in something, something, and yeah, we can all pray and we can all give them good hope. And, and our best thoughts, but they need practicalities. They need food, water, shelter, you know, blankets. Babies need diapers. Mamas need food. So uh, it's, there's just no reason not to do something. And there's nothing too little. There's nothing that's too small. They're not going to turn down any gifts or any contributions. And you'll, as I say on my podcast, Conrad, you know, you got to maximize life's minutes and and uh, do something nice for somebody because, by golly, it just makes you feel better. Episode 33 was yet another bonus show. Uh, this was the one everybody was waiting for. Why was Bruce fired from the WWE? We covered it in long form, but the thing everybody wanted to know 
was, did Bruce pull a gun on a writer? Take a listen to episode 33. Why was Bruce fired? I feel like you're not telling us everything. Like what? I feel like there's more to this gun situation. The rumor and innuendo is that you pulled it on riders, and you're not going to say that the official reason that you left is that you pulled the gun on riders, and you didn't tell us a story where you pulled a gun on riders. No, I told you what happened. Now, you're talking about a story what people say and rumor and innuendo and bullshit. So, you know, that's you, you, fine. So tell us the whole rumor I'm, tell, you- I'm, tell, I'm telling you exactly what happened. I'm telling you exactly the extent of what was said when I was terminated and exactly how that was handled. And that was the end of it. If you had to try to connect the dots, if we were playing conspiracy theorist, do you believe that Stephanie created a narrative where... She wanted to get rid of Bruce Pritchard. She wanted your lazy, yes man, undermining ass out of her hair and out of her way. So she tried to craft a narrative that had some element of truth to it, which is Bruce had a gun there, and then spin some yarn into he pulled it on some underlings. He can't be in a position of power. And in fact, because it involves a gun, he's a dangerous threat. And the company, which is publicly traded, would be liable. So this is a justifiable reason to just cut bait. But we can feel better about it if we give him a really good severance package. I'm just freestyling. Well, I believe that narrative exists. But again, I'm not big on narrative and bullshit. So to me, that's what it is, is bullshit. And... At this point in my life, I don't give a fuck. And I don't care whatever anybody else, whatever anybody else's narrative is, whatever anybody else wants to think or what they want to say. Because I've moved on with my life and I just have the attitude of next. That's so worth- yeah, I'm sure that narrative exists. I'm sure that narrative is out there. Um, you don't believe but- that to be the case personally. I don't care. I really don't care anymore. I don't. I don't give a fuck. Right after it happened, did you believe you had been, quote unquote, set up or framed? Right after it happened, I was unhappy and didn't like it at all. I, you know, I'm not even going to get into that shit. It's. That's a yes. Doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. No, I agree. It doesn't matter. You're not there. You hadn't been there for a long time. They're doing great. And it's worth mentioning, you said a minute ago, you've talked to Stephanie since, and y'all are somehow on good terms. We are. What did that conversation sound like when you had a subsequent conversation with Stephanie? Hey, how you doing? How's everything going? It was just normal as shit. Moved on. It was. What are the circumstances by, by, by which that happens? Where are you? When is this? Oh, God, this was probably during a time, I mean, I had conversations with Vince while I worked with TNA. I, I talked to Vince after my first heart attacks. Um, talked to Stephanie after that. I, I was looking for a job after I left TNA, and I talked to Stephanie then. But, um, you know, it, it was all friendly. It was all fine. But you got kind of the cold, I mean, you didn't tell me this, but 
Why, why wouldn't the WWF be interested in bringing you back after you left TNA? Did she give you the cold shoulder? No, she spoke to me. But you'd have to ask them that question. Well, what what, what did she say, though, Bruce? We don't, we, we don't have anything for you. Okay. Um, what was your first conversation with Vince like post-firing? Emotional. Where did you uh, did you talk to him in person or on the phone or how does that happen? I, I spoke I spoke to him in person in Houston when they had a they had a show in Houston and I went down and met with Vince and we had a good talk at the building. Um, no, met him at the hotel. But it was it was I would have to say it, it was just very I don't want to say superficial but it was uh, hey I love you and move on with our life and next. And I just felt because I hadn't spoken to Vince. You felt like you had, you needed some closure. I needed closure. Yeah. Hi guys. It's Ron Funches from television and like sometimes a movie, but not often. Uh, I just wanted to call in and show my support for Bruce and Conrad and most importantly, Houston during this time of need and just say how much I love something to wrestle with. I listen every week. I love hearing stories about my old favorites like Owen Hart and I love hearing Bruce turn into Jim Cornette. Uh, I gotta smoke weed with you, Bruce. We got to. I'll see you soon. So one of the things we're kind of well known for here on the program is Bruce and I arguing. We had a knockdown drag out at No Holds Barred, and some of that carried over here to WrestleMania 9. And throughout the show, I had badgered Bruce to level with us. Why in the world did Hulk Hogan come away the champion when he wasn't even advertised in the match? What was the rationale in taking the belt off of Brett just to put it on Hogan? Bruce claimed that Vince wanted to put the belt on Hogan for the European tour as added value to help sell tickets. The trouble with that logic is the shows were already sold out and Hogan wasn't there. Take a listen. It's one of our best fights ever. WrestleMania nine. So in your opinion, it's not that Hulk lied or that Vince misrepresented. It's he went and the internet's wrong. Okay. You know what? Here we go. July 30th. It was July. So excuse the fuck out of me. Dortmund, Germany, Hogan beat Yokozuna, uh, Offenbach, Germany, Hogan beat Yokozuna, Munich, Germany, Hogan beat Yokozuna, Berlin, Germany, Hogan beat Yokozuna, Edinburgh, Scotland, Hogan beat Yokozuna, London, England, Hogan beat Yokozuna. So now, it wasn't until July and August. Was he the world champion then? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> This so, my time frame, so my time frame is off. Excuse the fuck out of me. But that was the goddamn uh, idea. We've got to make him the champion so he can go to Europe and not be the champion. God damn it. It's simple, pal. It is. <laughs> you have consistently said he needed to go over there as champion. When he and went. That was Vince's rationale. And he changed his mind about King of the Ring, maybe? Well, no, he probably changed his ring about fucking ever getting back to SummerSlam and coming back after that because he didn't do SummerSlam that year. This is fun. 
Yeah, but see, you didn't do your rest of the research for the rest of the summer. No, that was that's not that, that, that's not fair. You have said consistently you wanted him to go there as champion when he went in August, which he, was the reason that we made the switch. But he wasn't that's the fucking champion wanted. when he went. Because things change. <laughs> I love you so much for that. When fucking Dave Meltzer says that, he's a jack off to you. But when you say it, it makes total sense. You goddamn right it does. <laughs> this lens. We sit on that wall to protect you, motherfucker, because you need our protection. Ah, <sighs> this was fun. So episode twenty nine was all about no holds barred. And uh, there's lots of fun stuff in there with Hulk Hogan jumping out of the back of a limo and we do a funny little song and he recreates the what's that smell scene. And of course, and of course, Vince McMahon's hilarious pitch for the match, the movie. But there was one little fun nugget of information on this show that was new to me. And of course, we all remember in 2001 when the invasion happened. WCW was owned by Shane McMahon and ECW was owned by Stephanie McMahon. But there was kind of a precursor for that all the way back on our No Holds Barred episode. Check it out. So in the movie, Rip Thomas is the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion, not Hulk Hogan. Rip Thomas. Is there a Thomas name somewhere in the McMahon family? I have no idea. Okay. I only ask because this movie is being put out by what production company? Shane Productions. Shane Distribution Company who puts this out. And I find that as an interesting little trivia note because prior to the WWE Studios, Vince's first production uh, company was called Shane Distribution Company. You going to give me anything on that? Shane's Vince's son. What's his daughter's the music, name? The music company was uh, Stephanie Music. Is that a rib? No, it's not a rib. So the music the, the music company, the movie division was Shane, uh, I guess, distribution. I thought it was Shane Productions, but the music was definitely Stephanie Music. I did not realize that that was the case, that he had a music company, and that's what it was named. Well, now you do. There you go. Uh, the the music in the movie. Any you want to guess who did that? I know who did that. Jim Johnston did that. Boom, Jim no Johnston. No holds barred. Something like that. I thought it was he pretty sure awesome. Hell wasn't, huh? I thought it was awesome that the guy we all enjoy who did our wrestling themes also did the music here. Hey, you know what else he did? What's that? Spending my days working hard on the go. But Hands on the clock, keep spinning too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. Episode 34 was all about Beyond the Mat, and there's so many iconic scenes in this, but we're not going to talk about the trampoline and baby weights today. Instead, we're going to remind you about the time Vince McMahon had draws in his office, talking about draws as a special talent. Bruce is going to describe it as only he can. So here's Draws. Um, it's hard to watch this and not feel bad for the guy knowing what ultimately winds up happening. Uh, but they kind of show the backstory here that he came from an upper middle class family. And is this really his first meeting with Vince or is this just put on for camera? This was put on for camera. There I am. And what that's, there's me, my big fat ass in the black uh, jacket 
But this was this portion of the movie was supposed to be about the development, taking a talent from training, from raw nothingness, and turning them into a WWF star. We chose draws to do this, and this was supposed to be a big focal point of the movie, to follow him all the way through his training, through his first match, and then him eventually coming onto the main roster and becoming a star. So that's what uh, this was. But, yeah, this was pretty much set up for the meeting. Uh who really discovered him and signed him? I believe that was Jim Ross that brought us straws. If you weren't doing talent right here, because Jim Ross says, what's your role with the company at this time? I was in charge of the developmental. So, yeah, that's what I was in. I was doing talent. When he starts talking about puke and, you know, vomiting on a guy, like your opponent or the referee, was that like a real fucking discussion or is this all just put on? I mean, there's no way Vince was like, yeah, then you'll vomit on a guy in real life. Yeah, it was because what Draws was famous for with the Broncos was puking on the ball. He was so nervous. But he thought he could puke on command. And, and they thought, hey, we'll have him vomit on a guy. Yeah. Okay, here we go. He's putting the trash can on the table, and he's going to do this is the line everybody remembers, and I'm going to need you to do it. Go ahead, pal. All right. Now, here you go. He's. He's gonna, he's gonna puke. He's not doing it yet. God damn it. I jumped the gun. Oh my God. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke. 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 He's gonna puke. <laughs> oh my. So here's my question, I guess. If it's a put on, why don't you at least have the guy legitimately puke? He tried. So that was the thing. Ross said he could puke on uh, command. command. Can't. But every time I would ask him to puke on command, like it, earlier in there, you saw the, the bit backstage. That was me giving a speech to all the guys having their first matches and stuff and tell them uh, puke, to puke right then. And he finally did it because he couldn't do it in the match. Episode 35 was all about WrestleMania 15. Maybe the funniest part of this show to me was the Mankind impression when he did Mankind as First Family Mortgage, but we promised to bring you this show commercial-free, so instead we'll talk about my second favorite thing from the show, the decision to hang the big boss man. Have a listen to one of the more controversial angles in WWF history. Next up, what we're all really here for, I guess, The oh Undertaker. God. Beat the big boss man in the Hell in a Cell match after nine minutes and 46 seconds. This hurts me. If you watch, <laughs> it hurt us all. If you watch the match, you remember that uh, what Meltzer suggests here is on the money. The handcuffs break way too early. Uh, boss man breaks these out and tries to cuff the Undertaker, but they're gimmicked and the Undertaker's supposed to be trapped and desperate and that doesn't happen because they break so quickly. So he has to pretend that he's trapped and helpless while Bossman beats on him. Both guys eventually bleed, but no one cares. Boring chants are all over the crowd. And then the finish is a tombstone seemingly out of nowhere. And then it really went downhill. <laughs> Uh, the brood comes in from the ceiling. So that's Gangrel, Edge, and Christian. They rappel down. Well, they had a finish. Like Sting has. 
and they start tearing at the center of the cage and eventually drop a noose. That's right, a noose, like you hang someone with through the cage, and Taker puts the noose around Boss Man's head and neck, and then they show Paul Bearer with the remote control box to lift the cage. And the thing that stuck out to you and I the most when we watched this the other day is that the brood goes back to the top of the cage, and what oh, happens? Damn. Who was it? It was Edge. Got just hung up. Before that, though. Which part? They all rigged themselves to go back up. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And we shot it. You had professional riggers, I'm sure, up there letting them down. But now they're down here by themselves. And rigged themselves to go back up. And rigged themselves to go back up with no professional help. And then Edge gets hung up. Edge is hanging and dangling. Just hanging, dangling. From from the ceiling, hanging, dangling. And not just, moving like everybody else is. Yeah, well, everybody else was already up up top, I guess, and, and we're still shooting it. And he's just kind of like spinning around. Do, 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 do. Um, man, I don't know what the fuck to say about this. It looked so haphazard and reckless and dangerous. It, Had you seen that since when we watched it the other night? Oh God, no! I, I, that's one. That's one of those. I throw that one up there, kind of with Katie Vick. I'd like to forget. Do you think Martha used that as evidence against you guys? Oh fuck! I have no idea. No, there's nothing to use there again. No, I, I'm not even going to discuss that. Um, but the the hanging itself, the the absolute. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the hanging. So, Dropping a noose. <laughs> let, let, let's think about this, folks. We, dro- we dropped a noose from the top of the cage, already tied, a, a noose that you hang people with, um, put it over boss man's head. and uh... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hung him. It was horrible. I, I did y'all walk through this the day before? No, we did it that day, but it was it was fucking horrible. So you're in the crowd or around the ring watching them kind of walk through this. The noose comes down. I assume they hook it to a harness that's under his gear. Do I have that right? Well, yeah, you saw it on the goddamn show. You can see it. Well, people are listening now. I'm trying to get you to you know talk to them. I don't want to. Um, <laughs> so just cut the show off. We're done. We're done. Um, yeah, man. It, 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 and so you know, he Boss goes. Man was wearing a goddamn harness and fucking. 
there's a hook on the noose. Obviously, he wasn't choked. I wish folks. people he wasn't could, strangled. I wish people could see your face as you're. You have your oh. elbows on your knees. Your oh, head now so. you want to describe what the fuck I'm doing with you, my hands and my head? You look so downtrodden. Let me ask you again: Were you ever embarrassed by anything <laughs> with WWF? <laughs> this was horrible. This this one was this was embarrassing, folks. Yeah, this one was, this was bad. I felt so bad for the Undertaker and Boss Man. Everybody involved in this. I felt bad for me. Um, I felt bad for me. It, it it sucked. It was when when you do who, the whoever's walk. idea was. I don't know if it's Russo's or McMahon's. The whoever fuck, the fuck's right. idea was, it's horrible. I will go on the record saying it was horrible. Um, execution was horrible. The idea itself horrible. Um, who was for? And, and on top of it, on top of it, this happened on a Sunday. The next night. Boss man just goes out and works a match. <laughs> so, so give me the logic there. I'm sorry. It, it was it was the shits. So it's you ki- sizzling so you- motherfucking shits. So you killed the guy? No, he just hung him. Huh? He, he worked the next night. No, what I'm saying for, as far as the life crowd goes, <laughs> I mean, you killed the guy. Yeah, I, you know what? I don't even remember how the fuck we got him out of there. I know they dropped him down. But I don't know. They carried him out. I don't know what the fuck happened. I don't even remember. It's 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 one of those those black holes in my memory that will never be. Let me, let me freestyle this. When you guys walked through it that day, I can honestly tell you that I remember them dropping it down and looking at it and going, "Oh fuck!" and walking away. I it's. Did you hear Vince McMahon's reaction to no, the walkthrough? No. What about live? No. I don't even know if he was there. I don't even know if he was like you know around me. I was a gorilla. I I I couldn't even tell you. It was so fucking just <laughs> dead. It was the audience didn't know what to do. Well, what are you supposed to do? You just fucking murder, right? Guy. I mean, yeah. It's it's who's the baby face who's the heel am I, supposed to, am I supposed to be happy that we're hanging a man in the middle of the arena at the premiere event uh, you know yeah do you cheer for a hanging yeah yeah what do you do yeah do, do you boo the hanging or do you cheer the hanging are we happy or are we angry or do we really give a flying fuck it, it just no was, one gave a fuck no one gave a fuck about the match. No. And on top of it, you you add that to it at the end. Didn't work. And I felt I felt sorry for Taker and Boss Man because they're two great workers that deserve more than that, in my opinion. What did Taker think after? I don't even remember. I I imagine he probably just kind of hung his head like I just did and walked to the back and said. Well, you don't remember Vince that. flipping out about this? No, I really don't. And and I got to chalk it up to being that black hole of trying to forget that shit. How funny is it when Undertaker realizes, oh, shit, he's spinning. The hard, oh, cam's gonna ca- the hard cam is going to catch the harness. Let me try to steady his leg here. Fucking horrible. 
And then at some point they turn the lights off. Like maybe Thank God. And when they do, Michael Cole starts yelling, It's symbolic. Is it a symbol? <laughs> is it a symbol? Now, is this because you guys have gotten so much heat for crucifying guys and putting them on the cross and having to say, it's not a cross, it's not a, a cross, symbol. It's a symbol, pal. Um, no, you know what I think was happening there is I, I'm, I would bet you money that whoever was... Jim Ross is in his head saying yeah, it's a symbol, it's you know, a symbol. I'm trying, to, trying to say, hey, not being hung, it's symbolic, it's a symbol. I don't know what the fuck it's a symbol for, other than you're hanging somebody, you're killing someone. It's a symbol. I don't of what? I, yeah. What was the bloodbath a symbol of? Blood. And a bath. And a vampire. <laughs> Vampires like blood. Maybe the most requested impression of 2017 is the Johnny Ace impression and we got to hear that in all its glory in episode 36 about Rowdy Roddy Piper. It's a pretty emotional episode, and if you've missed it somehow, you owe it to yourself to check it out. I think it's one of our best shows. But there's a hilarious sidebar about another wrestler who wore a kilt for the WWE, and he made a mistake that Johnny Ace had to correct. Take a listen. Oddly enough, Piper tagged with the Highlanders once. I guess they just said, well, they've all got kilts. Fuck it. Put them together. Uh, there so, you go. That's kind of an O6. He's got to kill baby and help those kids out. Good God. <laughs> Show them how to get over in a kilt, right? Goddamn. Well, you know what? Those guys used to wear a kilt to the building, and, and they wore them in real life all the time, and that, that just got over with uh, Triple H and Vince. They love that. But then they went and saw uh, TNA on their off <laughs> WrestleMania and got fired. So I do, do, do. I can't wait to talk about that. But well, you know, who knows when we're going to talk about the Highlanders again? They went to a TNA show and got fucking fired because of it at WrestleMania in Orlando. Yeah, one of them, um, one of them took his son to Universal Studios, and TNA was recording. There shows at Universal Studios, so they went in to to see the recording. And while they were there, somebody spotted them, and TNA put them on camera. And oh, hey, you can't go to a TNA show. You're fired. Something like that. <laughs> Did he know they were putting him on camera? No, he had no clue. He's just there as a wrestling fan. Universal Studios. Kid. Yeah, he he was just there, you know, coming in like everybody else does to get out of the heat. Wow. Does, does Johnny make the call, or is Vince fired up about that? Oh, you can't go to a TNA show. You need to go home. That's pretty much it. That might be my new favorite impression. Which one, Conrad? Tell everybody who you're doing. There's some... Shuley, who's listening right now, has no idea who you're doing. Johnny Ace. Did you see how good Vince's arms looked yesterday? Oh, my God. That one vein almost made my vein pop out, if you know what I mean. It took By us a way, while. I got the one-legged wrestler. He's really good. He's a lot older than you guys said. And it doesn't even look like he's missing a leg. He walks around like you and me. My favorite. Is that a new haircut, Vince? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
what? I'm trying to get it together. November 2006. Uh, oh, it's a good year, Conrad. <laughs> Roddy Piper beat the Spirit Squad to win the tag titles. Uh, does it get more nostalgia pop than this to have Flair and Piper win the belts and then the next night on Raw beat Randy Orton and Edge? I mean, that's crazy stuff, is it not? You think people will believe that? <laughs> if we put it on TV, goddamn, they'll believe it. Seeing is believing, pal. What if they came down on skateboards? Cowabunga, dude. Oh, my. Episode 38 was all about Hulk Hogan in 1987, but what I remember most about this was Kamala. You will not believe what we're about to discuss. Over the summer, we see Hulk Hogan work with Kamala a lot at the house shows, and he's somebody we haven't talked about a great deal here on the show. Do you have any fun Kamala stories you can share with us? Because he was uh, he was working the main events a lot here in the summer of 87 with Hulk. Kamala, man, he drew everywhere he went. I think the, the funniest Kamala story that I had was working with uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan in Houston, Texas, and his tights ripped. And Kamal, all he had on was the, that, uh, leopard skin skirt. Yeah. And all of Kamala's junk, the, the Ugandan, the Ugandan warrior was out for all to see. <laughs> and he just kept working like it was nothing, doing the, the jumping, the big leg drop and the kicks and, and that Ugandan giant, it, it was just out there waving and say hello to everybody. Oh, yeah. It was great. But, man, Kamala was a hell of a worker, man, a, a very underrated big man. I'm not going to let you just wiggle here. I need you to go ahead and do an impression of Kamala's penis again. Uh, paint on it, had a little moon on it and a couple stars. Oh, my gosh. What? We just came up with a T-shirt, uh, and I think we just got hashtag Kamala's penis trending on Twitter. <laughs> what? What? What the hell is it? <laughs> with this show and penises. It's your show. You don't get to ask those questions. You get to stop talking about peni. Is that the plural well, of penises? you're the one that brought it up. I didn't ask about his penis. You asked about, about Rick Rude's dong. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're switching gears here on me. Hey, everyone. This is Chavo Guerrero Jr. here. And this goes out to all my friends and family that are in Houston that are in need of some dire help right now. My brother and friend Bruce Pritchard is doing something really cool on his podcast, which is something to wrestle with. And uh, he's putting together a donation that is loveforhouston.com. If you donate to that, all the money goes directly to the Red Cross and helping out all the folks in Houston. So let's get together and help all these people out that would be helping us out if we were in need, all right? Texas Pride, let's stick together. God bless you guys and viva la raza. One of the things Bruce is known best for on the program is his impressions, and he broke out a new one for us on episode 37, WrestleMania 13. Here's where we heard the very first time that Bruce did the Iron Sheik. Take a listen to Bruce as Sheiky Baby from episode 37. Uh, so Rocky Maivia is out next to take on the Sultan. I guess the Sultan comes out first. He's got Bob Backlund and Iron Sheik with him here. Uh, the Sultan here is being portrayed by the guy who would go on to play Rikishi 
uh, for some of you younger fans who may not remember who the Sultan was. And uh, I don't know why, but man, I fucking love Jim Johnson's version of the Sultan's theme music here. Probably the best thing about the character. Can we agree? Okay. All right. Well, give me some, give me something else. <laughs> you didn't that, like the you didn't like the ponytail in the mask. Did you draw that? No, but I did love it. <laughs> I used to love it when guys would grab it and pull on the ponytail, and, and the whole would, mask would come up. The whole mask would come off, and it would just oh god damn. What? Uh, how does this come about? Rikishi had been with y'all for a while here. Whose idea is the Sultan? I mean, it's just like. Well, we need a new version of the Sheik. Let's get a let's get a Middle Eastern character. I, it was Vince's idea. He he liked he he loved the idea. He liked the mask and and that whole nine nine yards, and just thought he could cover up Junior enough that no one would ever know. Um, and he you know he had a soft spot for the Iron Sheik. So this is another way to get the Iron Sheik involved as well. And throw Bob Backlund in there, and you got old and older, and <laughs> and a big Samoan. Uh, hypothetically, if the Iron Sheik was going to sell some T-shirts for us, what might that sound like? For two beer, I'm uh, fired, and uh, you go to the to the BruceThePreacher.com. You, I, Baba, Baba, look at me. I used to be over, Baba. You know, I, I am, I am a Bruce Pritchard guy. Well, you know, but, but I know ya. Iron Sheik know ya for no jabroni hawking. Achui, a dude, 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 fuck you. Well, you know, ha, fuck a river mania, I break your back, humble you, fuck you and ass at Bruce Pritchard.com for to be. I wrote this shit. Oh now, pal. Ah, fuck you too. Let's just fucking call it a show. It's over. We ain't gonna beat that. I'm over there, Papa. I'm for it to be over. Oh my god. You know, there's lots of bad ideas in creative, and in episode 39, we talked about one with The Undertaker in 1993 that I'm kind of shocked didn't happen. I just freestyled a guess as to what a ridiculous pairing might actually be named, and I nailed it. Take a listen. The hindsight being 2020, there's a picture out there somewhere on, on Twitter and what have you of Vince in the casket. Yep. That day. And we all, we went, it was, we took a road warrior hawk with us to the funeral parlor because we had to buy a casket. Now, there was a law that you could not sell caskets. So if you just wanted to buy a casket to have in your home or for a talking point or whatever, you couldn't just go buy a casket. <laughs> Who the fuck's buying a casket for a talking point? Well, I don't know. There's a lot of weird people in this world. I'm not going to mention Jim Cornette's name, but there, you know, um, wait, wait, wait. There, what would Jim Cornette shopping for a casket sound like? Goddamn! You're gonna bury me in the motherfucker. I'm not gonna live in there forever. Goddamn! What the fuck? No, I don't know. Um, I need double pillows, <laughs> double satin. 
You know, the funniest thing about this weekend that we'll talk about in a little bit was Jim Cornette doing me doing Jim Cornette. That sounds kinky. So let's get back to Vince and a casket. So we get back to the casket. You couldn't just go buy a casket. It's illegal. So we had to use Paul Bearer's mortician license and pull some strings to get people to actually sell us a casket. So we took Road Warrior Hawk with us because... He was about the same size as Ultimate Warrior to measure <laughs> to see if he fit the casket. Why didn't Ultimate Warrior go casket shopping? Are you serious with that question? Well, why did Hawk have to go? Why couldn't Warrior go? He was probably busy eating chicken breasts and working out or something. Who knows? Chicken breasts and dry pasta. I don't know. He couldn't be inconvenienced. I don't really know. But we took Hawk because he was there. He was the same size, and if it fit him, then we knew it would fit Warrior. So we went, and for those of you who have not yet been in a casket, a casket is <laughs> simply the most... those of you who have not yet... Who the fuck listening has been in a casket? You're into some I, weird shit, dude. You know what? I bet you there's some people out there that have, that have tried out a casket before. I don't buy that. I'm just saying. But... We all we all got in the casket to it just that's kinda like a I don't know. I got a picture right up there on my wall of me in a casket with Erwin R. Shyster. But it's the most uncomfortable friggin' thing in the world. Because obviously the person going in it is dead. They don't necessarily have to be comfortable. But you look at them, they look like the most comfortable things in the world when people are laying there right before you bury them, do they not? Hypothetically, if the Undertaker had tagged with IRS, would they have called the tag team Death and Taxes? You laugh. That was an idea at one point. But no. <laughs> Are you serious? You're, you're over there playing ha-ha and shit, and, and that was actually kicked around at one point. It is I, the lyrical miracle, the sexual, intellectual, and the quintessential stud muffin, Joel Gertner. But today is not about me, not even about dirty limericks, not going to tell you about the stripper named Alexis and how she taught me adoration for the state of Texas, but I will say that whether you've got something to wrestle or you don't, and you should, by the way, everybody does, whether they admit it or not, you definitely, today, this week, and all the days of your life, should have love for Houston, something to wrestle's own Bruce Pritchard, as well as other wrestling luminaries, some people that I'm lucky enough that I've met them in my journey, I call them friends. MVP, Booker T, Stone Cold Steve Austin, all of them from that part of Texas that's getting hurt and affected so much right now. So while you're listening to Something to Wrestle and you're hearing perhaps the Rick Rude episode, which stood out to me, it was amazing, just like everything that Bruce and Conrad put together. While you're doing that, maybe you're listening for free. Maybe you're thinking about, is Bruce safe? Is Bruce stranded? When's the next episode going to drop? While you're doing that, whatever you can do, one, five, ten, twenty dollars, loveforhouston.com.
Episode 41 was another hashtag love to know episode where you guys asked questions and Bruce fielded the answers. And uh, we learned of a great story of just how disappointed Vince could be when a character misses. Take a listen. Episode 41, hashtag love to know. Uh, Ron on Twitter wants to know, tell us about the Bastion Booger. Uh, was that the most underrated gimmick or just wrestle crap? That was an example of Vince being so fucking disappointed and I think dejected when we brought in Mike Sean, Vince wanted the mad monk and Vince had this idea that Mike Shaw would come out with this crazy haircut, shaved head as a monk and he would come to the ring different times and we'd have this chanting monk monk music and Shaw would come out and then he worked a match at some point. Vince was just horrified at how horrible he was. Didn't want to give up on him and felt that what wasn't working was the monk gimmick and the fact that Mike was trying to work in basically a full length moo. Yeah. So to come up with a different gimmick for him, he'd already shaved his head and everything. Well, let's shave the rest of his head. Let's mess him up. And Bastion Booger was born. And I get credit for the name. It was just one of those. What about, you know, we were looking for strange, ugly names. What's uglier than a booger? What's uglier than a booger? And, and you think of, uh, you know, a, a name that would fit him. Bastion. Bastion. Bastion Booger. And that's one of those things where you have to be careful what you suggest sometimes because it can become reality. So you were trying to entertain yourself and you essentially, yeah, help ruin a guy. Yeah. You want gross bastion booger. That's gross. That's feeding worms too, right? No, but he ate pizza and shit on TV. I ate pizza on what I'm not on TV. Episode 42 with Jim Cornette could be 19 different impressions of a cheeseburger order. But instead, we're going to share with you one of the greatest stories in the history of the show. He deserves his moment in the sun. It's George the Rat. But anyway, we get together with Vince one day, and this is before Corny had made made the move. And there's no Cornette. So I called Jim. Jim was uh, in Sanford, living in the high rise at this point. I said, hey, man, uh, where are you? You, you going to make it in? Oh, goddamn. George died. Oh, my God. Corny. What, what do you mean George died? So to give you a little backstory, George was a rat. Do you remember the Mankind vignettes? Yes. Do you remember the rat that uh, Mankind had in the original vignettes in the little cell, the Mankind uh, original vignettes with the rat crawling around, crawling all over him? Are you about to tell me that that was... Jim Cornette's rat. That was Jim Cornette's rat, George. Wait, wait, wait. Is that the first rat Jim Cornette ever had? Uh, that was the first that was the first rat that Jim Cornette ever had that had huge balls. And four legs. Okay. Alright. So uh Jimmy had a pet rat. Uh his name was George. Who in the business didn't have a pet rat? There you go. And one of the things that, that was uh particularly peculiar about this rat was his large testicles. Um but I'm calling Cornette on this one day, and George had passed. George had left us. I said, well, 
Oh man, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Well, goddamn, it, 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 it's terrible. He was sick, and we took him to the vet, and, and the vet was just b- beside himself, and they, they had to do surgery. I said, wait a minute, stop. Corny, you mean to tell me that you took a fucking rat to a vet in Stanford, Connecticut, and they said the rat was sick, but that they could do surgery and make him better? Well, fuck yeah, what would you do if it was one of your loved ones? It was so sad. He described how the how the rat was laying there, and George was there. And they had like a little apparatus, and they breathed for him during the procedure. They, You're fucking making this up. I swear to God on my children's head. And the nurse sat there, and she she puffed little breaths in George's mouth so he could breathe and continue to breathe through the operation, through the surgery. But he didn't make it. He died. Eleven hundred dollars. For a rat surgery. I thought the purpose of the rats was they were, oh, surgery. Okay. I thought they were, you know, no. And so Corning, Corning missed, uh, about six weeks worth of work morning, morning the rat and, and laying in bed and, and holding the box. So <laughs> being the asshole that I am, I know that's hard to believe. Uh, I'm like, all right, man. Uh, so, you know, what now? So you would, I mean, what'd you do? Did you, did they just throw the rat away or you guys flush it or what? Fuck you, goddammit, I'll kill you, motherfucker! So, well, well, Corny, what do you do with a, with a dead rat? Right now we've got him in the freezer. So, George died. They got the body. The body. <laughs> they got the body. The body. The, the body. They put it in a, in a ziplock. Put it in a fucking, uh, Shoebox and put him in the freezer, so that he can next have, to the ice cream, next to the ice cream, and next to the frozen pizza and everything else, so that he can have a proper burial in in the Carolinas or Kentucky or wherever the fuck George came from. So he could, he could be buried with the rest of his rat family. I'm not, and I'm not ribbing. This is a true story. Corny, tell the story on your thing if you want to, but uh, you know. He he was distraught and missed missed work over the rat dying. Very distraught. Because Cornette's a sensitive son of a bitch, man. Oh yeah. So do we know why the rat died? Maybe it had mesothelioma. <laughs> you know, but if you know On episode forty three in your house eight, beware of dog. We get a hilarious story from Bruce about why Vince loves a certain song and how it sounds like when he sings it. Check it out. At the end of the match, when uh, Austin loses and DiBiase's WWF career is over, the entire crowd gets in on the act. And you guys actually play the song over the PA. Hey, 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 goodbye. Whose idea is that? Who do you think? Vince McMahon. God damn, I love it. Let's do the na-na-na song. <laughs> what? Na-na-na-na. Goodbye. And we'll get, we'll start it, and they'll play it, and then they'll start singing na-na-na-na. Na-na-na-na. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. And then they just start chanting, and you sing it, and you get them going along with it. 
Elvis Vince, yeah, he loves that. That's why, you know, every time you notice when somebody goes away, and we do the na-na-na song, got to get that in there. Crowd's preconditioned to it, man. They go right to it. He loved that shit. I was really, really hoping that you would sing that for me, and it was even better than I hoped. So thank you for that. For episode 44, Global Wrestling Federation, Bruce tells a hilarious story about Chris Adams in a trailer park you won't believe. Take a listen here. Bob Connors wants to know if you have any crazy gentleman Chris Adams stories you can share. Wow. The first night that I met Chris was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Chris had just been released from prison for his encounter with an American Airlines flight attendant where he might have um, gotten a little aggressive with her and, and did some time while on an airplane, I think going to Puerto Rico or some international destination. So Chris was booked in Bill Watts Universal Wrestling Federation. It was his first night in, and Chris had spent a lot of time in jail. And this is his, his really first time being on the road, first time being out. The first time that I ever had the pleasure of meeting gentleman Chris Adams. So on this night in Little Rock, Arkansas, Little Rock was a dry town. And they had clubs that you had to be a member of the club. You had to have like a membership to go in and drink. So if you weren't uh, a resident, you were kind of shit out of luck on the alcohol. But if you had, if you knew someone, they could bring guests in and different things. So we, we go out, we, we get to the hotel and Chris is like, Hey mate, would you like to go have a cocktail? Mm -hmm. Sure. So we get a taxi cab and we have this guy drive us to this club and we don't realize that we can't just walk in. So we go to the front door. The guy tells, Hey man, sorry, I can't let you in. You're not a member. You're not a resident, so on and so forth. And we turn to leave and there's, about four, two couples, four people coming up. And they're like, oh, my God, aren't you the guy from wrestling? And they're talking about me because I was the announcer. It was Chris's first thing in. And then they look at him. And they're like, oh, my God, you're gentleman Chris Adams. We're like, yeah. They said, hey, are you guys members here? And they said, yeah. Can you get us in? So they get us in. We go in, and we had quite a bit of uh, – quite a bit to drink and little rock isn't like new york city or some other major metropolises where taxi cabs run hot and cold they're kind of few and far between as a matter of fact and we need a ride home now we need a ride back to the hotel but before that it appeared to be an opportunity to um maybe go back to these folks homes and participate in some recreational drug activity to which Chris was overly excited about doing. So we go to these folks home, which turned out to be a trailer at roughly two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. We get to the, we get to their trailer and we go inside and they've got, you know, this little, you know, it's a trailer. It's a double wide. It's a nice trailer. And on the table, they're, they're chopping up certain things and rolling up other things. And, and, um, <laughs> while I was, while I was sitting at the 
at the table talking to the husband and the other couple, might have been inhaling, I, I noticed that Chris and the one of the wives, the wife obviously that wasn't there, are not there. And I excuse, I got, excuse myself to go to the bathroom. And as I go to the bathroom, I hear this, these noises coming from one of the bedrooms where Chris and this guy's wife are, appear to be, at least from the sounds emanating, to be in the throes of passion. And I go back to the table, and now I'm scared to death because I mean, people, people are drugged up, people are drunk. Um, in a trailer park in Little Rock, I have absolutely no idea where the fuck I am or who I'm with, frankly. And my crazy English uh, compadre is in these folks' home, barely in their bedroom. He's supposed to be doing. Yeah. And man, we the the guy starts the the husband goes to look for his wife and wonders where they are. And I guess they had just finished up. And Chris comes out, and the guy goes in to to question the wife and see what the hell's going on. And we got the fuck out of there so fast. The couple that was with us said, come on, let's go. And they got us out of there, and they gave us a ride back to our hotel. That was the first and the last time that I ever went out with gentleman Chris Adams. Yeah, let me, uh, we should state clearly for the record that uh, you don't roll anything or cut anything and nothing with anybody else's wife these days, so... No, not a no, good. I didn't do shit. Not a good right. look for anybody, right there. Yeah, at it, all. it was. It was one of those moments where your life kind of flashes before your eyes, and you're you're. And you take stock of your life. The what headline. the hell am I doing with my life? I have got to get out of here. Correct. Yeah. yeah. The many many things you you visualize the news report. You visualize the front page of the paper, and. Uh, yeah, and if we did get out of there alive, you visualize the meeting with the cowboy afterwards, and just nothing good could come from this. Episode, it's episode 45. It's Judgment Day 02, probably one of the more underrated shows, simply because there's so much going on. You've got Hogan's last title defense. You've got Angle putting his hair on the line. Deacon Batista. The NWO is here in the WWE. It's Brock's rookie year, and it's the last pay-per-view before Austin walks out. And the first show since the WWF got the F out. And as if all of that wasn't enough, there's a Hell in a Cell match on this card, too. One that Tim White won't soon forget. And uh, you probably won't forget this clip. Uh, but we've got Triple H and Chris Jericho in what type of match, Bruce? Hell in a Cell! Uh, briefly, let me ask you this. We haven't talked about this very much in the past, but it's been reported that Jim Cornette likes to take credit for Hell in a Cell and this concept. Uh, I think he maybe said something like that on a shoot interview once or something. Uh, from your recollection, does Jim Cornette deserve the credit for the concept Hell in a Cell? I don't know. He may. Uh, you know, it was it was during that time that he and Russo were riding with Vince, so he may. Hypothetically, what would it sound like if Jim Cornette was trying to pitch Vince McMahon on the Hell in a Cell concept? 
Well, goddamn, Conrad, it's fucking simple. You get a giant goddamn cane, and you put a top on the motherfucker, but it doesn't just come down around the ring ropes. You put it down all the fucking way around the goddamn ringside area, so it comes to the floor, motherfucker. And then they can work on the outside and take bumps into the fucking cage. But they can't get out of it. And then that goddamn motherfucker Vince Russo fucked it all up by having them get out of the goddamn cage. The cage is used to keep motherfuckers in and keep other motherfuckers out. Not for the motherfuckers that are in to get out of the motherfucker, only to come back into the motherfucker after they got out of the son of a bitch and they did big fucking bumps out of it, onto it, then back into it. Motherfucker. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. You know what? I think that's kind of how it went. Hello, this is Justin Roberts from San Antonio to Corpus Christi to Beaumont to Austin to Dallas to Tyler, especially Houston, everywhere in between. Texas has always been one of my very favorite states to announce, and it's been breaking my heart seeing all the footage on the news of Everybody affected by the hurricane, all the damage, and uh, it's it's awful. My heart aches for everybody out there going through this, and my thoughts are with you. I'm very, very happy that something to wrestle with is showing their love for Houston and putting this show together for you. Um, you have always shown your love for wrestling, and, and now something to wrestle with is showing their love for you, and I think it's very admirable. Uh, I'm a very big fan of something to wrestle with. I subscribe. I listen to every episode. And uh, I love hearing all the backstories, everything 90s. I love hearing the banter between Bruce and Conrad. Uh, you know, I, I love everything, well, you know, wrestling. And what would wrestling be without dancing? Which takes me to the clip that I've chosen from the WWE ECW episode. WWE ECW was one of my very favorite times with the company, and I think back to the first house show that we did at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia. Mike Knox and I went out with a newcomer, a newcomer who didn't really know wrestling, and uh, was brought in not to wrestle, but to dance, and she didn't really know how to dance. So we took her to a strip club and hoped that maybe she would learn a thing or two. Well, to further her education... Bruce tells a story on this episode of the most unlikely of dance teachers. I love this story, and I think you will too. Uh, let's talk about something great for a change. We've talked about a little negative. Let's talk about Kelly. Yeah. Let's talk about Kelly Kelly. Uh, she was uh, stripping on the shows, Roll Tide, and dancing with Candace Michelle. And then eventually, she would claim she's an exhibitionist and flash balls Mahoney. Who found her and who spent some extra time making sure she understood the ins and outs of the business? Barbie came to us through a talent search. I, I wonder if she came to, to us through the uh, diva search. I don't really remember. 19 years old. Heyman was infatuated, absolutely infatuated with her. And Vince was 
like, okay. But the first night that she came in and we were going to put them, uh, put them out there dancing. Bless her little heart. She couldn't dance to save her life. So when you have a female that can't dance, that looks like that, what do you think you should do? That's a question, Conrad. You can go ahead and answer any time. I'm sorry. I was looking at pictures. I'm distracted. You can keep talking. I'm listening. What do you do when you have a beautiful, young, 19-year-old, gorgeous girl like Kelly Kelly and she can't dance? I find a position for her backstage. I'll teach her to dance. (laughs) It's even better. I shit you not. Me and Vince McMahon and Kasama Basatidi spent most of the fucking afternoon in Vince's office showing Kelly Kelly how to dance. This makes me happy. You gotta move. You gotta groove. Feel the music. Come on, baby. Come on. Come on. Give it to me. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Move. Uh-huh. Yeah, like this. Oh. The entire fucking afternoon. I think it's time to roll credits on the episode. There's no way we're beating that. Wow. It was, and, and then got her out in front of everybody and, and got her dancing and so on and so forth. But it was his. I mean, he, he actually brought, and man, I, and again, it's the shit you remember sometimes. Some things I can't fucking recall for shit. Then there are certain things that are just etched in your mind. And you know those, like, plastic chairs that are all one piece? Yeah. Uh, you know, not folding chairs, but they're actually like a plastic uh, chair. That's what he had her standing on, dancing in his fucking office. She could have fell easily. Oh, we were there to catch her. It was safe. I love you for that. But I was like, you gotta move. Come on, come on. Shake it, shake it. Do it. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. There you go. Move. Oh, yeah. Just like that. <laughs> and, but, um, who, uh, was she well liked in the back? Kelly Kelly? Yeah. Yeah, sweet as could be. That's nice, great. really nice. I mean, too nice for the wrestling business. Well, that's great. Good. Yeah. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Conrad. Thanks for the opportunity to be a part of this look back at some of the best of something to wrestle with. The hottest wrestling podcast on the face of the freaking planet. Congratulations to that. Bruce, just want to let you know that both Nick Hausman and I are thinking about you, hoping that uh, things are going as well as they can as you swim your way out of Houston. And uh, thinking about the shows that you've done, I've gotten a big kick out of listening to a lot of them. Um, but honestly, I have to say, to nobody's surprise, episode number 48 of Something to Wrestle With, the Eric Bischoff Comes to WWE episode, has to be my favorite of all time. Now, not because I have a massive ego, which I do. Not because I just love to hear people talk about me, because I do. But more importantly, because 
This is as close as you could get to being that fly on the wall and, and hearing, you know, what was going on and what people were thinking, you know, about you when you came into an organization like this. It was a really fascinating um, listen. I learned a lot. You know, I heard things that I had never heard before. So for that reason, episode 48 of Something to Wrestle With is my personal favorite. Thank you, guys. Bruce, good luck to you. Good luck to Stephanie and the family. Uh, Bischoff killed it in his two segments that, uh, we got lots of questions about, I had in my notes, but I, we got a ton of tweets about it. Um, the time that Eric Bischoff kissed Linda and the time that Eric Bischoff kissed Stephanie, this feels like a psychiatrist dream to book your former arch nemesis, arch rival to make out with your wife and daughter. Let's hear about it. I was there for the Stephanie kiss. Vince produced the Linda kiss at his house in uh, Linda's little office there at the house. So they're really in the McMahon household when that's going yes. on. Yes. What does that do? I mean, you weren't there for that one. I was not there for that one, but I talked to Eric about it, and he was so uncomfortable. Just because Vince being Vince, and by the way, look, we, we should mention this happened on August eighteenth, two thousand three. If you'd like to go find the raw, uh, it's like a six minute segment. It's August eighteenth, two thousand three. Anyway, didn't mean to cut you off. Continue. No, he just was so uncomfortable and felt so weird being in their house. And then having to grab Linda and be a little physical with her and, and kiss her. And Vince producing it. Hey, you gotta go in. You gotta put one on her. You know, um, it's awkward. It's awkward. I, I you know, I, I think I would be awkward in that same situation. Who kissed Linda more times in 2003, Vince or Eric? Well, that day. The year. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's talk about the uh, Stephanie McMahon kiss. This feels like something that we've talked about before, of course, in the Kurt Angle episode in our archives. Uh, you gave a hilarious rendition of what you thought that sounded like, but I'm sure you have a totally different story here. Um, tell us about the time that Bischoff had to kiss Stephanie. Well, here the tables were reversed because Stephanie was completely repulsed by Eric. And she, first of all, she hated the idea and she hated the experience. So that in and of itself makes it more fun. Sure. She sold it. Oh, 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 she tried not to sell it, but by trying so hard not to sell it, she sold it big time. So. She kind of, you know, she kind of caught on to, you know, well, let's, let's rehearse that one more time. Let's go ahead and run through that one more time. And I, I was doing a Stephanie on her, which, you know, she would always have guys do things over and over and over. That was good. But let's try one more. Um, were you smiling ear to ear or are you trying to play it straight? I played it straight, man. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, let, so, l- let's hear about it. This actually happens if you want to go find it. On October 31st, 2002, and this sounds make-believe even talking about it, but describe what they're wearing when this happens. 
Well, Stephanie is wearing a witch outfit. That's witch, W-I-T-C-H. How does she, and Eric, how does she look? Hot. What? what? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you looking for here? She looked hot. She looked good. Her her uh, her chest is is very exposed. Her bosom. And this is a Halloween episode, of course. It's airing on Halloween, two thousand two, and so she's in a. Um, I guess you would call it a slutty witch outfit. I, that's probably the way this was sold at the Party City outfit where she bought this thing. And no, her it was an outfit out of her closet. I'm sure it was, and and her and. Her, I'm sure she rode her own broom to taping that day, uh, and she's falling out of her top. Her cups runneth over. She walks into the room with this little outfit and this hat, and she sees a man in a pinstripe suit. And what else is interesting about this man in the pinstripe suit? It's her father. Well, it's actually someone in a Vince McMahon mask. Let this and- sink. Let this sink in. The daughter comes in to a locker room where their gimmick's hanging out on Halloween and starts talking to her dad. And her dad's mask comes off, and there's the big reveal. It's actually Eric Bischoff dressed up like her dad. She tries to hit him. He pulls her close and... Bends her over for the big smooch. And she fights it, but then by the end, she's into it. And gives in and does the arms around him. And, yeah, it was great. And then they actually collapse on a desk in a heap and then get up and wipe their faces and stare at each other. And that's it. And out. And the concept here being these are the opposing general managers. One is a McMahon. One is Bischoff. The Bischoff was dressed like her dad. Is this the, one of the weirdest segments in the history of wrestling? Yes. Who wrote it? That was SmackDown, right? Yep. So. Don't oh. act like Vince didn't write this. Vince wrote this. No, I, I think uh, I think I might have. Oh, you did it just to get heat with Stephanie. No wonder. No, 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 no. It fit the storyline at the time. Vince might have helped. Vince might, Vince might have taken it, you know, a little further than, but I think it was my idea to have the two in there at the same time in the Vince mask and all that shit. Do you think when she was dressed in the witch outfit, she cursed your WWE career? You know, I never thought about that, Conrad. Uh, hypothetically speaking, was Vince in the room when this kiss happens? Yes. What was his reaction? What did he think? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, but my, I, I can't. No. What, yes, you, God, yes. The only way it would get have been better. Some, get you some. Get you some, pal. Yeah. You know, white chocolate is a thing. You've been saying this is your favorite thing the whole show, and now you're just going to leave me hanging? White chocolate, Teddy! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We're really reaching here. 
Hello, my name is Will Sasso. I'm a serious actor, and that is a shoot. <laughs> and like many of you, I would hope all of you, I am an avid listener of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard because I was a great fan of what Conrad did with Woo Nation and the Ric Flair show. And shout out to Ric Flair. Wonderful to hear that he is recovering. And now, what Conrad and Bruce have done together on my favorite podcast, I hope it's your favorite podcast. And I'm not, it's not just my favorite wrestling podcast, okay? Because I'm not like a smart mark. Don't be a smart mark or any of that bullshit. You know what I mean? You gotta have a life. And uh, But I'm a dork. I'm a wrestling dork. Is that okay? We're all wrestling dorks. And that is not, that is a shoot. That's not a work. And it's, so don't get half up because I'm not ribbing you. Anyway, okay. See, we all speak the same language. Um, and uh, we're very happy that, that Bruce is is safe. What with the tragedy that has happened in Houston. If, if you haven't yet, or even if you have, please consider giving to loveforhouston.com. Uh, I'm sure Conrad has covered this thus far on the show. Uh, you know, because I don't know, as I'm saying this, you know, I'm recording this. I'm sitting, just sitting in my truck. I'm recording this on my cell phone. Okay, you know how podcasts work. They put it all together. Not work like it's a work. Okay, see, now I'm confusing the whole thing. It's wonderful that Bruce is safe, and uh, soon he'll be back with Conrad making our favorite podcast, because we are a bunch of wrestling dorks. Okay, so um, what with that, when Conrad reached out to me, he said, uh, would you mind, you know, drum rolling a, a clip from the show? I said, absolutely. And I would like for Conrad to play a clip from episode two, The Mega Powers. I grew up during the 80s. Big Hulk Hogan fan, huge Macho Man fan. My two heroes, they got together. Wasn't that something? That handshake was the greatest handshake in the history of humankind. Better than Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers and Predator. And, uh, and then, wait, I mean, he turned on him. And then, you know, cause the madness had to run wild eventually, you know what I mean? And then, then he slammed him on the head and they're slipping around in that room. Remember the room? It was like wet on the floor and they almost smashed into Elizabeth. And then, uh, and then it was over. But before that, what a wonderful, uh, program. Is it okay for me to say that? Program? I'm not a smart mark. I don't think that I deserve to say those words. It drives me nuts when people who aren't, you know, in the know say a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what that means. Again, I'm going to keep the kayfabe and say Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man got together, and it was wonderful. And, uh, and, uh, uh, reckless abandon no more. Yeah. Right? And he said something like that, and then Hulk was like, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Don't you worry about the hit on the head, man. I'm worried about where we're going from here, dude. Is it the ionosphere? Is it the stratosphere, brother? With the madness and the mania, we could go ahead and take the whole WWE. I don't want to do that. That's so dumb. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Do a bunch of impersonations. I'm a guy sitting in his truck doing wrestling impersonations. So that's, don't do that. Because again, I said, don't be a smart mark. And now I'm sitting here doing this. Okay, so that's pathetic. But uh, I do it for you guys, right? Because we're all in that wrestling dork family. And it's a wonderful family to be a part of if you need an extra pair of uh, sweatpants smell like ass and maybe a ruddy like fucking Austin 316 t-shirt that's not nice either okay I've completely alienated myself from the rest of the listeners of this wonderful podcast and as a matter of fact you know if you're gonna do wrestling impersonations don't do Hulk and you know everybody maybe a little more arcane something like 
Well, at least we live in a country where we take care of our old and our sick. And if I was going to give the United States an enema, I'd stick the hose right here in Pittsburgh. And you know it. Um, I did it again. You could get more arcane. Hello. That's not arcane. Everybody knows that. And everybody knows Brad Hart. Or how about, uh, well, let's do this one. How about, uh, Fit Finley absolutely mashed it. Beat the granny out of him, sunshine. Okay, so I'm, I'm not, that was William Regal. But not really, because it wasn't that good. Alright, um, that's all I have to say. Conrad, please play a clip from the Mega Powers episode, because you got Bruce and Conrad on the back of that red and yellow Harley, brother, riding down, <laughs> down the, down in Venice Beach, dude, or in Tampa, dude, yeah, brother, by Hogan's Beach, with Brutus the fucking barber beefcake, brother, okay, I've overstayed my welcome, love this podcast, love you, Bruce, love you, Conrad, thank you for doing what you do, hey, everybody, please donate to loveforhouston.com, and Conrad, take it away. All right, episode 47 was all about King of the Ring 1996. And, of course, that is where Austin 316 was born. But what I really got a kick out of was hearing Bruce talk about the set design for King of the Ring and those funny King of the Ring props. Take a listen. Let's talk about the set. Who made the uh, royalty props for you guys? I know in 97, you all used AFX Studios in Atlanta, and uh, Triple H hated the crown. But I've always been curious how over-the-top goofy some of this stuff is. Are these designs approved by Vince, or does he see them the day of for the first time? No, it's all approved ahead of time by Vince and the TV people. At this point, uh, Richie Posner was probably involved in different set designers. When um, when I said Triple H hated the crown, you started laughing. Oh, he hated that motherfucker. He destroyed it. We had probably four different crowns made that Triple H would destroy every night, that it would accidentally fall and he would accidentally stomp on it repeatedly <laughs> or it would uh, get eaten by his dog or something would happen every single time to that crown to where finally it's like, Vince, these motherfuckers cost like a couple hundred bucks to make every time that we do it. He ain't going to wear the crown. The crown looks goofy as shit. And it was like, it was like a fucking Pope crown. It's ridiculous. It was the silliest looking goddamn thing you ever saw in your life. And other than Jerry Lawler, I don't know anybody that can get away with wearing a crown uh, beyond 1976. Uh, King Haku. Uh, yeah, but that was a cool crown. And, and Savage, okay, I'll yeah. give it Savage too. But beyond that, okay, don't fucking be throwing logic back at me, motherfucker. Okay, sorry. Um yeah. What did you think uh, the odds of Stone Cold Steve Austin putting on this goofy fucking crown were? Oh, yeah, that wasn't happening. <laughs> I watched this show for the first time in a long time this week, and I had a friend in the room who had never seen it. And when he knew that Austin won the King of the Ring, but he hadn't seen the actual show. And when he saw the crown and the scepter and the cape, he's like, please tell me he puts that on. Please tell me they made him put that on. I can't imagine what that conversation might sound like if Vince were trying to tell Austin to put that on. God damn, pal, you look regal. Fuck. There's a royalty walking. Look at that. The purple and the jewels. Stone cold. God damn, that's hot. 
Um, but you know, the other guy that made the King shit work was Booker T. King Booker. I know he didn't wear it in the seventies, so that can't be true because you just said a minute ago. I. Uh, Episode 49 has one of the most accidental, hilarious moments in the history of the show. We're discussing Hulk Hogan's incredible 1988. He's all over the place. Business is through the roof. But he has some interesting house show opponents. And Bruce and I have a discussion about Hogan working a house show in Florida, who his opponent was, and why they were chosen. This, to me, is the epitome of what makes our show fun. Have a listen. On February 18th in the Meadowlands, Hogan would beat the Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man, by DQ. And then he took a week off to come back on February 26th. There he would work Hollywood, Florida, right before intermission against the natural Butch Reed. A lot of fans may not get the connection, but why was Butch Reed working Hogan on this particular show in Florida? Because it's close to Hogan's home. Well, because Butch Reed's over in Florida. Well, that too. Golly. I'll just do this by myself for the rest of the show if that's okay with you. Okay. I mean, good Lord. Florida Championship Wrestling, Butch Reed from Florida. He was drawing houses down there and doing great, having great matches. Yeah, that was a long time ago. That was a long-ass time ago. We're talking about a show that happened 29 years ago. I understand that, but Butch had left Florida like long before that and gone through Mid-South and then been in... Uh, okay, then answer this, Smarty. Why is Butch Reed working against Hulk Hogan in Florida? Because they wanted to see how Butch would do if people were buying him. Why didn't they do it in Detroit? Well, because Butch was over in Florida. <laughs> Why aren't you paying attention, man? Oh, I love you so much sometimes. <laughs> I want to strangle you. I feel my blood pressure getting higher over here. I'm about to get a, about to pull a Kenny Bowling on you. All right, I was pretty critical of episode 50. Austin walks out. At the time, I said it was our worst episode ever, and uh, this may or may not have been what got me blocked from Stone Cold Steve Austin on Twitter. We had a little bit of debate about what made this episode good or bad? Coon, what's your take? What's most memorable about this show to you? I actually like this show, uh, and, and I liked it because I think it had the most heated argument between you and Bruce about whether or not it was cool to pour alcohol on Scott Hall. So we're going to play that clip for you. So what did you enjoy about this show? I enjoyed in the show that how angry you kept on getting throughout the show that Bruce would not call a spade a spade which was the bottom line. Well, I didn't say that. Silva did. From episode 50, Austin walks out. We've talked about this before, but this is the time where we see Austin uh, kind of kidnap Scott Hall and holds him hostage, ties him to a chair, gets him in a walk-in freezer, and is drinking beer. Uh, we should probably tell the story again. Kind of set the stage for what was going on that you didn't you guys didn't know but you discovered through the process of this segment well creatively austin had hall basically kidnapped and like i said tight taped up to an office chair and he also had his mouth taped he being scott hall and steve is in the back and he's running hall into different things and drinking beer and pouring beer on scott hall 
obviously we knew Scott Hall had issues, but what we didn't know was that Scott was taking a drug called Anabuse. And Anabuse is a drug that if you drink alcohol when you take it, it makes you violently ill. And that's obviously to curtail you and discourage you from uh, drinking any alcohol. So Scott's got his mouth taped, and he's having beer poured on him, and Scott starts to get sick and starts the medication starts to have the reaction to the alcohol being poured on him. And it, it, it was just a – it was a bad scene. But we the, the worst part about it for me was being in that building till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, however the hell long it was, reshooting all of that shit all night long because we were running long and Vince wanted to come back and produce all of that stuff and, and it just became a nightmare. It was a, it was a nightmare all the way around. Can, it became a Vince McMahon production all night long. Can we just say what a fucked up business professional wrestling is where you've got a guy who's had some, some substance issues in his life and is working very hard to steer clear of all that. And in a company where you can literally create anything you want, we create a scenario where that guy has to drink alcohol, but he is so job scared and it's such a culture where he doesn't feel like he can speak up because it will be viewed as weakness or he may lose his spot that he knowingly ingests something that is going to make him sick, but he would rather do that than lose his, what a fucking weird business. I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know that he knew beer was going to be poured on him, and I don't know that he knew he was going to have that kind of reaction. So, I, you know, which makes it even worse. I don't know that's true. It makes it even worse. You guys know that he's struggling. I, we didn't know he was on. We didn't know he was on that. You didn't, How would we know? You didn't know that he had substance issues and that he was an alcoholic. We knew he had substance issues. So let's pour beer but if you on can't, him. But if you, yeah, but if you can't get no, that that's well, not fair either. How is that's, it not fair? If then I went, get out of the business if you can't handle it. Listen to you. See, what a fucked up business this is. Okay. I can't believe but that it is was, what it is. I can't believe that was your attitude. This is a guy no. who has an addiction tra- problem, and you know is working hard to get clean. And just to be a dick, you guys want to pour beer on him. And then your attitude is, well, if you can't handle it, get out. No, I'm saying based on your argument. I'm saying that if you come into the business and he knows what he's getting into and if that's a problem whoa, then whoa, speak whoa, up whoa. you just said two sentences ago jack dick that he didn't know he was getting beer poured on him you guys knew he was an alcoholic and you poured beer on him as a surprise out of your own mouth right there no it wasn't a surprise no you're you just said completely he didn't know. taking it out of context how should i take you're it? in the mo- you're in the moment Steve pours beer on him. Shit happens sometimes, okay? But we didn't know he was on an abuse, didn't know he was going to have that kind of a reaction, didn't know he was taking medication. Knew he, he was knew he alcoholic. was working with Austin who had that anyway. gimmick. If he had a problem with it, he could have spoken up. You are, you know, Jim Cornette has you pegged when he calls you the artful dodger because I just said a minute ago, never mind. You're a turd for saying that, by the way. No, I'm not. It's it's simple fact. If you if you have a problem with it, speak up. You just said and, a minute okay, ago. You know what? We, I don't want to do this. Okay, we won't do it. We'll do something different. But based on your argument, what you said is, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Woe I'm is so me. sad. I'm so pathetic. Everyone should feel sorry for me. 
Because what? I have to, I'm sorry, we put you through uh, rehab how many times? Wait, 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 wait. We're helping Scott, you with all of Scott this. Scott Hall never threw a pity party and said, I can't do this. No, you did. Me. No, I said, what a fucked up business it is that you guys know he's struggling with that and you still pour beer on him. That's what I said. You, you can't act like that you didn't know that he had that problem if your next sentence is, look how many times we put him in rehab. Now look at him. Let's just cover him in beer. That's a dick move, Bruce. No, it's not. Oh, if you can't handle it, get out of the business, pussy. You can't handle that, then do something different. What does that mean? Just what I said. If you can't handle it, you don't want to do it, you don't want to be put in that position, then don't put yourself in that position. How does he know he's in that position if y'all don't tell him? You just suddenly When he shows up to work. So when you show up to work, (laughs) on this show. Move on. Okay. We've already just, we've already covered this in the uh, NWO show. Yeah, and you're still as big of a dickhead now as you were then. Thank you. Golly. What else you want to talk about? Go on. I'm done. I got nothing else. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody. Hear more of this dumb shit about the NWO and WWE in our archives. Of course, we all know uh, more. Uh, nonsensical horseshit happened. It was all awful. Nothing was good about it. And uh, Austin was as frustrated as we are right now with Bruce. Hey, it's Sam Roberts from Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, as well as various other things. And anybody that knows me and listens to me and heard me talk about wrestling podcasts or podcasts or wrestling knows what a massive fan I am of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. It's the only wrestling podcast that I listen to religiously. I just, I think it's great. Conrad and Bruce have done amazing, amazing things over the last year. So it's no surprise that they're doing something amazing again by using the audience that they've built to raise awareness and money and support for everything, everyone that has uh, uh, tragic circumstances surrounding them in Houston right now. I'm sorry to hear that Bruce is stranded out there. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that he's not uh, affected even worse than he is. And, and Well, you know, I'm just happy that the guys are, are doing what they're doing, putting on this best of show uh, and helping all the great, great people in Houston. So thank you, Bruce and Conrad, for everything that you do. Bruce, I hope uh, everything in your life and all your loved ones are okay doing down uh, are okay down there, and uh, I fully support anything that you guys can do to help Bruce and Conrad. I would do it, you know, because Hogan must pose. The face that runs the place is John Cena, and he was the subject of our episode. It was episode number 52, where we talked about the rise of John Cena. Of course, in the early days of John Cena, he had the rapper gimmick. Bruce told us that maybe Paul Heyman thought this would kill John Cena dead. But uh, we had a little fun with that rapping gimmick when we said, hypothetically, what might it sound like if Jim Cornette wrapped John Cena's theme song. You won't believe this. So you think you're untouchable? Word live. This is basic thugonomics. Word live. I'm untouchable, but I'm forcing you to feel me.
Whether fight or spit, my discipline is unforgiven. Got you backing up in a defensive position. An ass licking, anthem, heavyweight or bantam. Holding caps for ransom, the microphone phantom. Teams hit the floor, this new the fight joint. Like a broken needle, kid, you're missing the point. We dominate your comforts with offense, that's no offense. My theme song hits, get your reinforcements. We strike quick with hard kicks, ducking night sticks. Bare knuckle men through fight pits, beat you lifeless. Never survive this, you forgot like Alzheimer's. Never survive this, you forgot like Alzheimer's. Two-faced rappers walk away with four shiners. The raw rhymer turning legends to old-timers. My insides are like a viper biting through your one-liners. New Dead Man Inc., and we ain't about to make you famous. Taking over the earth, still kicking in your anus. Wow. Motherfucker. We won't be able to beat that. Let's get to next week's poll. I can't believe this is a real thing. Episode 53 was about one of the most popular wrestlers in modern history, CM Punk. And we all know that Punk is straight edge. But there was that one time for one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. He made an exception. And Bruce shared the story with us for the very first time. You know, he's got straight edge on his on his fists, on his fingers and everything. Because it's a lifestyle that he believed in and that not a lot of people participated in. They could say the words, they could talk the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. And I've got a sidebar on that as well because I, I looked at him and I said, so you don't drink, you don't do drugs, you don't do any of that. He says, no. Um, he goes, but I'm not a prude either. I said, Okay. Explain that. So he he explained that he really didn't want to judge others that did that did choose that lifestyle, and this is what got him over with me automatically. He was in Kansas City or St. Louis somewhere, and it was Harley Race's birthday, and he was at a camp at Harley's camp, and they were out at a, a restaurant, a bar type thing, and they wanted to do. Everybody got shots for Harley's birthday. Now Punk doesn't drink, new drugs. But he took a shot out of respect for Harley Race. And he goes, you know, Harley asked me to do it. One shot's not going to kill me. I'm not going to go get hammered. I took a shot out of respect for Harley Race. And for whatever reason, I, I just thought that was cool. And that just kind of showed the love and passion he had for the business and respect for the old timers. He didn't have to, and it you know, would have been fine. June 30th, we have the tag team tournament semifinals where Owen Hart and Davey Boy Smith defeat the Headbangers after about four minutes. And during the match, Bret Hart is called in and discusses his return to the ring Sunday at the Canadian Stampede pay-per-view and how the opposing team would be treated by the Calgary crowd. And then afterwards, Cornette appears on stage and tells Owen and Davey uh, he had a team that couldn't make the tag tournament but wanted to fight. So he brings out the unintroduced squat team who brawled with the headbangers, Owen and Davey, and then Owen and Davey quickly leave the ring, and the headbangers were laid out by the squat team uh, following a top rope moonsault. And this was Cornette's surprise return after a six-month absence. Uh, what can you tell us about the build for this 10-man tag team match here? Oh, God. You know, the 
single episode, if you were to ask Jim Cornette what almost made him retire from wrestling, walk away, and never to be heard from ever again, his answer back then, anyway, would not have been Vince Russo. I think it would have been this one night when he came out to debut what had been billed as this great uh, tag team, uh, super heavyweights that can do everything and do it all, and they're basically uh, a smaller version of Abdullah the Butcher, but they're two of them, they're twins, and they're the greatest workers in the world. They're really good guys, wonderful guys from the Dominican Republic. Uh, spent a lot of time with them in Puerto Rico and in Mexico. Great, great guys. This was the version of a universal fart in church that was heard not just all over the world, but this was heard in galaxies far, far, far fucking away. And the look on Cornette's face when they finally hit the ring because they were rolling down the ramp. And when they finally hit the ring in slow motion and Davy Boy and Owen had to wait, which felt like 20 minutes for them to get up on their feet, it was horrible. And Cornette came back and he was, he was just devastated and, and was like, God damn, I'll never fucking be able to show my face again. I can't manage these fucking goddamn double R motherfuckers. What the fuck am I supposed to do? I'm a goddamn manager of motherfucking champions. I actually manage guys that can fucking stand up with their own goddamn two feet and have a fucking match. What the fuck am I supposed to do with these goddamn motherfuckers? And bless their little hearts, they were never to be seen again. Hey guys, it is Zach Gowan. Well, you know, the one-legged wrestler, sending all my love and my thoughts and my prayers to you, Bruce, to you and your loved ones, and to everyone in Houston and Texas and everyone affected by the hurricane. Um, I pray that everyone makes it out unscathed and untouched, and we can start the rebuilding process soon. Uh, as a nation, we got your back, and we're going to rally behind you and do everything we can to get you guys out of that situation. Conrad, thank you so much for all you do. I love the podcast. You do a fantastic job. Uh, Bruce, thank you so much for sharing your insight and your experience. Um, incredibly well, well-researched and entertaining podcast. Uh, my favorite podcast of the week, something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Um, Bruce, thank you so much for, in 2003, after, after Viper got fired, thank you for dusting off the brother love gimmick, um, and allowing me to bump you around on, on the house show loop. You were the first one to, to, to take a bump for me in a WWE ring, and I haven't forgotten that, and, uh, it's always been, uh, appreciated, and I'm grateful for it. You guys are awesome. Keep up the great work, and I'll keep tuning in. Thanks. Bye. You know, just like Vince McMahon used to say, anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation. Well, anything can happen on our podcast. Let's talk about demolition. Our demolition episode was episode 55. And inside, we get the full explanation, finally, of what the hell does doot, doot, doot mean. Doot, doot, doot. With a T. Not doop, doop, doop. Doop, doop, doop. And it's just a sound that if Michael Hayes were to make a sound, that's the sound he would make walking down the hall. Doop, doop, doop. 
But he doesn't make so, a sound. He doesn't say that. No, he doesn't say it. But yes. if, he, if Conrad, if a sound emanated from him walking, and you were doing a soundtrack, what would it sound like? Band Street, Atlanta, GA. No, it was sound. Dave, Dave, Dave. But the idea behind that whole free bird rule and uh, smash and crush is a team was when we found out whether Axe could go or not, then slide him back into it. But there was a lot of doubt as to that ever happening again. Episode 56 is all about fully loaded 1998. And I know what you pervs are thinking. When you think of fully loaded 1998, you think of Sable. But as often happens a lot here on the show, we get going on a topic and Bruce gets a fun tangent. And uh, he had a story I'd never heard before about the dungeon match, specifically Stu Hart stretching a civilian. This is a story you won't believe. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to digress. There, there's a famous uh, Hart family. I think it was in, in Wrestling with Shadows about Stu Hart, and there was rumor of a priest locally in Calgary that had might have been inappropriate with some young boys. And so Stu invited the priest over to the house to have a chat with him. And Stu took him downstairs in the dungeon. And as legend goes, Stu stretched the priest, and the priest screamed so much that you could hear it all over. But Owen taped the priest screaming. Yeah, he really did Did the boys, uh, little boys, scream like that when you had them down in your parish, you sick, perverted fuck? And this went on for like an hour before Stu finally released the priest back into the real world. Well, good for him. The WWF in 2000 was a different time, man, and that was never more evident than in episode 57. It's SummerSlam 2000, and uh, the company's coming under a lot of scrutiny, and they've got a lot of backlash, but they still push forward a women's lingerie stink face match. And Bruce and I had a pretty funny conversation um, I don't want to spoil it. Have a listen. I can't wait to talk about this because in this same show so far, you've talked about how you're toning it down and DX needs to tone down some of their lewd, uh, you know, behavior and there's no more pimps and there's no more porn stars. So let's have two women go out there with their buttholes hanging out and uh, let's have them rub their buttholes in each other's faces to determine a winner. Who booked this shit? I didn't see any buttholes. Well, you need to get that HD. Damn. Um, talk me through this butthole match. <laughs> it's a stink face match. God damn. Let's process this. There's Semantics, just... pal. All right. First of all, I guess I should ask, how many of the boys did the cat give that stink face to? You got me. Well, no, she didn't get me, so. Well, she I fucked absolutely, up. I have absolutely no idea. She fucked no up? Comment. She fucked up. Uh, <laughs> so th- when Terry strips down to a thong bikini, Saturn runs out and covers her up, which is an excellent way to get heat. I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, of course, he's sporting his European title at the time. Uh, and then, of course, Kat strips down to her bikini, uh, and they were to get in those upskirts like we talked about last week where... As the girls would bend through the ropes, there'd be a cameraman right there for her OBGYN checkup. 
Um, uh, who was in the truck saying, get me more beef, and why was it Kevin Dunn? You're just going to keep going there, uh, and I'm going to keep not going there. It's a joke. Uh, I, I don't this, think that this anybody... match, and, and I, I look at it and just go, oh, it was brutal. It had its spot on the card, I guess. But the lack of, I'm not going to say wrestling ability because, uh, bless their little hearts, neither one really had much wrestling ability. Well, that's not true. There's rumor and innuendo that they were a hell of a hand. Hey, so they're doing lots of deep crotch slams. Uh, and I've, they ne- were. I've never heard, uh, Jim Ross call it that before, but he made sure. Well, that, that's because they're going extra deep. Uh, extra deep in here for the slam there, Conrad. Um, I think deep crotch slam should be our next t-shirt. Your thoughts? Well, the deeper the crotch, the deeper the slam there, pal. You get, you gotta get in there deep and, and once you get within the crotch, you grab, you snatch it. You snatch when you get inside the crotch and then bam, in a slam. They See, call that a deep crotch snatch slam. Nanny Hodge, when he showed me the deep snatch crotch slam, you have to go and it's all in, it's all in the knuckle when you get in there. It makes a difference. There's a spot in here where, uh, Saturn is trying to, um, defend Terry, and he pushes Cat down. So it's like the fifth time we've had a guy involve himself in a match with a woman like this. And then at one point, um, you know, this is what happened. The cat gave Terry some head and then spread her butt cheeks in her face. And that was the end of the match. Um, Thank God it was the end of the match. How about Al, how about Al Snow flipping her around for the reverse uh, shoulder shot? Yeah, uh, the guys knew what they were doing. They made sure there was lots of butt stuff in there, and when they were getting the girls back in the ring, they were getting handfuls themselves. This is just, I mean, it's a little embarrassing. Here's the thing. If somebody came over to my house unannounced just to visit, when I was watching this for research for this show, they would look at me and say, what the fuck are you doing with your life? And I would be very... No, they would not. And I would be very proud that they have never seen our live show because that's way more offensive than what this was. But still, even though it was embarrassing, I cannot lie, this was pretty damn roll tide. Uh, but it is amazing to me that the finish of the match is when the cat gave Terry some head and then spread her butt cheeks on her face. Roll Tide. Who's the agent for this butt cheek match? Oh, maybe Tony Gurria. Back in my day, we never did the, uh, the butt, the buttocks in the face, but I'll try it and give it to my best shot there. Maybe if you, if you spread the butt cheek would be better for the stinky face. Is anybody instructing these girls on what to wear? Because I found it like borderline fucking dangerous that these girls are out here wrestling on a wrestling mat with like platform high heels. Holy shit. Platform high heels. My God. I I, I don't think that, that Terry had more than an inch to balance on. Yeah, it was. Don't talk about gold dust like that. Dangerous. Fucker. 
That's that's, that's, that's don't talk about gold dust like that, you fucker. Easy that's that's not yes, cool. They, they were wearing their, their footwear was suspect at best. So who's dressing them here? I know I know who's dressing the cat. Jerry Lawler is, but is somebody instructing them on here's what you need to wear? Because this, I don't know, this whole thing is weird. They I, did it all on their own. Hypothetically speaking, how would Dusty describe this match? Maybe this shit was god awful fucking horrible. They got their titties all down. They're putting the butt sheet. And hang on, baby. I'm gonna like to let me slide my booty into your nostril area. Shake a little bit. Ding, ding, ding. Ring that motherfucking bell. Then motherfucker be over fucked up like a monkey if you will, motherfucker. SummerSlam 1996 was episode 59, and there's lots of funny little bits in here, but to me, the home run is Todd Pettengill making his way to the boiler room, and he has to play it up for the camera and describe what he sees. It's just as ridiculous as you might imagine. Here's Todd Pettengill describing the Mankind promo in the boiler room. Episode 59. This promo that he does on the back before the match, it's early in the pay-per-view, is phenomenal. If you haven't seen this, this is some of the best Mankind stuff, uh, especially at the time. But Todd Pettengill, Lord bless him, he didn't sell it nearly as good as Foley does. He walks in the room, and it's just, you know, dimly lit room with, like, plumbing. <laughs> he says, this is ominous. Totally and ominous. It's dark and ominous. It's, it's totally freaky. There, there are things in here. There are pipes. I don't know why, but I feel like, you know, since we make everything a fucking shirt on this show, we need like plumbing and it just says, there are pipes. I, I just, there are things in here. There are pipes. Dark, dark and ominous pipes. Oh guys, you don't understand. It's, it's so ominous in here. There, and there dark. are things in here. There. There are pipes. Look over there. There's another pipe, and it's dark, and it's ominous. Oh, my! It's Mankind. Yeah, so Mankind's there, and uh, he's rocking back and forth and making his funny noises, and he starts doing his promo, and he says, there's no place like home. And then he starts licking, for real, a filthy pipe, and you can see, like, the lick marks. Uh, and then he's pulling his hair out uh, at the end. I mean, this is some of the best stuff. You know, that, that you guys are doing at the time. I thought the promo really, really, really set up the match in a big way, at least for me, because you got a peek of where you're going to be and that this guy is fucking crazy. And you know, it is pretty ominous to see plumbing. I mean, I know I get freaked out when I see plumbing, don't you? Dark and ominous pipes, yes. In Alabama, we're lucky. You know, we just got that indoor plumbing recently. And when I see it, woo, it just catches me off guard, you know? Well, especially when it's dark and ominous and in the bowels. <laughs> Uh, Bowel plumbing can be dark and ominous. Was um was Pat Patterson comfortable down there in the bowels? Um, you know what, Conrad, I'm I'm not going to comment on those kind of just just illicit rude remarks. What? No, I mean he's the agent for the match, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Well, yeah, I mean, who else would belong yeah. in the bowels than than Pat, Pat Patterson? He's a bowel expert. He's seen a lot of them. They're dark and ominous. They have uh, pipes. They do. They do. 
Uh, so mankind gets Look the win over. T- <laughs> Some of the pipes are bigger than others. SummerSlam 2002 was episode number 61, and uh, it's not famous for Roger Maris. It's famous for Jamie Noble. Dave Silva, do you have a Jamie Noble you can drop on us? Come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. Come on, come on, get in the tongue. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Come on, do it. This no, is, I don't. This is maybe Bruce Pritchard's very best impression, second only to Dusty Rhodes. And we're reliving a moment where Jamie Noble and Nydia were at the restaurant in New York for a makeout with Nydia contest. It's just as ridiculous as you imagine. Have a listen. Speaking of smothered and cheese, talk me through the makeout contest with Nydia at WWF New York. This is one of the most interesting things on WWE pay-per-view. Um, and I guess as you're talking about it, I'm going to need you to wrap us up here talking about this with you doing an impression of Jamie Noble promoting the kiss here. My God, this was hilarious. It just feels like something Vince McMahon would love. Woo. If you haven't already, kids, go watch this Jamie Noble Nydia at WWF New York makeout contest. It's, uh, it's something to Come see. on, baby. Come on, baby. Get your tongue down up in there. Get your tongue out there. Get that tongue down that boy's throat. Come on, baby. You can do it. Get down there and squeegee some of them buttons, baby. Come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see a little spit going in there. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Save some for later now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, look at that. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Get that lip lock in there, baby. Oh, oh, man. Uh, okay. Jamie. Let's just let, let's roll credits. We're done. We're not going to beat that. <laughs> We're not going to beat that. Oh, well, Jamie and, and Nitty and I had gone out to the um, Playboy Mansion for to do some vignettes. Because since I don't know when we're ever going to talk about Nitty again. And half is there. Now, the Playboy Mansion, this was during a time that they were very friendly to us, and they were letting us do a lot of stuff, and I had a pretty good rapport with the PR guy there. Um, but Hef can be a little um, eccentric at times. Really, really nice guy, but a little eccentric, believe it or not. So he's he's home, he's working, he's up in his bedroom, you know, and, and all this stuff, and they're allowing us to, to shoot on the outskirts of, of the house. And the front door, I, I had Jamie going up and, and ringing the doorbell and demanding that Hugh Hefner come out and talk to him, and I had a a, a, a guy inside that was going to answer the door and so on and so forth, and I'm showing Jamie. I said, now, Jamie, when you go up to the door, you just, like, hit right here. Here's the... Uh, Doorbell, you just push right under it. Don't ring the doorbell because it's a real doorbell. Do not ring the doorbell. Just push right here and raise hell. You have to run, no, you ain't going to answer this door right now. My baby's going to spread it right there for you and all this shit. Well, Jamie goes up, and we're shooting all this. And Jamie goes up, and he's actually hitting the doorbell. Well, I don't know this because I'm – watching a monitor and I can't see the actual button from the way we're shooting it. And all of a sudden Hefner's personal security guy comes to the door and opens the door. And he is livid because Jamie has been sitting there hitting the doorbell, ringing the doorbell. Uh, Hef is upstairs in his bedroom on a conference call 
and he's hearing the ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, just over and over. And then through the window, he can hear this. Hey, I know you in there, you heifer. I'm gonna get you out here. When you get out here, you gonna look at my baby's titties, and you gonna love her. When she spins that thing, you just gonna have to have me in your magazine because my guy, my baby, me, she's my beautiful thing. I don't know why you put Tor Wilson in your magazine because I got the hot damn thing for you. And the security guard opens the door, and we almost got thrown out. We, I mean, it was, yeah, that, that took some talking to. But uh, Jamie Noble, man, is a classic. Uh, one of the most underrated, underutilized guys in the business. Well, I don't if know if he, he's... Here's a guy who, if, if he had been six inches taller and maybe just put 20, 30 more pounds on him, top guy, top, top champion forever. Today he would be. Uh, I think he's still one of the champions backstage. It would not surprise me to hear that he's running SmackDown or Raw anytime. No, I that wouldn't shock me at all. Great mind for the business, but but talent, just innate natural talent. Um, do you think Get we should in there, baby? Get it in there. Come on, you know what to do. This is the whole thing you do. I think Get backwards. Come on, backwards. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. Uh huh. Let me just say uh, that Jamie Noble is my new favorite impression of yours. I didn't know you could do it, but now that I know, I did. Um, she's gonna go ahead and spread that thing for you. <laughs> Her arms, welcome in, baby. Oh, I love it. Um, next, if you haven't seen the skit, man, you gotta go see it. You're missing out. Uh, I, was, I was crying watching it, laughing just. That's good shit. All right, guys, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for tuning in for yet another edition of the very best of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. We hope you join us again soon. Of course, these shows come out every single Friday at noon. While the flood has subsided, there is still years of work ahead of Houston. They need all the help they can get. Give all you can. It's loveforhouston.com. Of course, Bruce is there on the ground doing all he can, and uh, we want to support him in that effort as well. As he tries to help rebuild his community, America needs your help too. All your donations are tax deductible. No donation is too small. Every little bit helps, and we greatly appreciate your support. I appreciate everybody pitching in to make this show so great. We had so many awesome celebrity cameos here that uh, this really felt like something special. And it was because of you guys who have supported us from day one. Uh, Hopefully you heard some clips you haven't heard before and you're interested in checking out some of the archives. But again, that wasn't the general purpose today. We're not trying to sell you anything. We just wanted to make you laugh and uh, hopefully convince you to donate a few bucks over at loveforhouston.com. Tune in this Friday at noon for more. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.